Hi, Simon Hill here. Enjoy our podcast. If you'd like to help us keep delivering the sort of quality football chat you want, then you can show your support by making a donation. Big or small, however much you can afford, we appreciate all your help and every cent will be ploughed back into improving production. Thanks in advance from all of us at Shim, Spider and so much more. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. much more take it away fellas yes hello again good to have your company for episode 29 of shim spider and so much more a week in which the words battle of the bridge and a league tuba guy entered our lexicons much to discuss in the local game then after a busy weekend of football in both the a and w leagues overseas daniel arzani gets himself a gig in denmark and Manchester United slip up at Old Trafford. And in our final segment, we'll be talking to popular ex-Socceroo Stan Lazaridis about his career and his thoughts on the modern game. All in the company, of course, of Zelko Kalatz and Craig Moore, who is back on deck. Good to see you, Maury. Um, we've got a Twitter question for you to start off with. Uh, this yeah. comes from Andrew, who says, can we Rangers supporters start celebrating yet? <laughs> Pop the cork, son. Pop the cork. <laughs> it's done, is it? 55's coming home, mate. Celtic again lost at home to St Mirren over the weekend. They've imploded. Um, and for me, Rangers have won the title. Wow. Let's hope they don't slip up from here, eh? Um, Spider, uh, Zanti were undefeated going into Saturday's game with, is it Kania or Chania? How did you go? Yeah, it was Tanya. I, I <laughs> there you go. So no, nowhere near. <laughs> no, don't worry. I'm looking at the teams we're playing and I can't pr- pronounce them either. But yeah, no, nah, Hanya, uh, we drew 0-0. Zero, zero. Um, look, probably disappointed we didn't win this one because we, we actually played quite well, had a lot of chances. But uh, four games, three draws and a win, not bad to start with. Okay, the draw specialists. Uh, thanks for the moment, boys. Let's get into it then with Hard Talk. Hard Talk. Hard Talk is brought to you by Streamgate, one of Australia's first live streaming companies operating since 2008. They focus on virtual and hybrid events, broadcasting to unlimited online audiences worldwide by either a secure private stream page or publicly on social media. 
Live streaming allows social online engagement as viewers are able to communicate back to the presenters in real time while social distancing. So should you require a small personal event or business level webcast, then please go to streamgates.com.au or find them on Instagram. Well, let's start with uh, the A-League then, guys, and run through what's happened in the games uh, over the weekend. Uh, Western Sydney Wanderers all square with the Newcastle Jets. Uh, the Jets showing great resilience uh, at the moment, but I think the Wanderers will probably be a bit frustrated that they uh, didn't kill them off. Yeah, I um, I thought Wanderers probably should have won the game. Uh, gee, they butchered some great chances on the to finish off the match. But as you said, Newcastle, last couple of weeks, quite resilient. Um, first four games they played, they weren't great, but they were in the matches. And then they got a result, and now they've been decent, to be fair. Uh, Maury, yeah. go on, sorry. Yeah, I think I agree with Spies. Like, Newcastle at the moment, probably not not hit their straps, but at the same time, they're, they're, they've always been in a game. Um, so to, to get that that point and, and late penalty from, from O'Donovan, dubious penalty, uh, in, in my opinion, but uh, a, a good result for them. And uh, they have done well, like it says, because there's a lot of, lot of things happening behind the scenes. Yeah, talking of that, uh, they've put together an advisory board to select a new coach. Ron Smith, Alex Tobin and Julie Dolan uh, are going to be part of the selection panel. Why do we need advisory boards uh, to select coaches or, or, or managers. It's, it seems to be a, a, a peculiarly Australian thing, this. Don't seem to get it across the rest of the world so much, do we? I, I, I don't think, think we do. Yeah, it goes wide. No, I just I don't think we do, Maury. Um, but I just think maybe it's because Newcastle doesn't have an owner at the moment. Um, and and that's that's why. You wouldn't think someone who owns their own club is getting an advisory board on who's going to coach their team. Normally, normally there's a process and, and, and all these interviews and consultancies. If it's, a, if it's an owner that is controlling that club, sometimes we see that process go out the window and they just go and get their, their man. Uh, but I do expect, Simon, that there'll be a, a pretty swift announcement on this um, Newcastle manager, whoever that's going to be. Have you got any inside uh, information for us, Maury, as to who it might be? I've heard Simon Grayson, Winfred Schaefer been mentioned in dispatches. Simon Grayson, funny enough, I've just seen on, on the news tonight, I think has taken the Fleetwood job. Ah, okay. And so, look, I, I, I think from what I've heard, Simon, uh, there, there's been a strong push for it to be an Australian coach. Um, and, and when you start talking Australian coaches, I think we all kind of know the profiles of uh, the, you know, the candidates that are going to be presented to Newcastle. Mm. Uh, of course, they do have football IP in the club with uh, with Laurie McKenna, and they're owned by three or four other A-League clubs. Um, anyway, interesting. We'll see what uh, pans out up in Newcastle with regards uh, to the coaching job. Maybe Craig Deans will get it full-time. Um, the uh, the first ever game between MacArthur FC and uh, Sydney FC, won by the Sky Blues. Good return to form Spider for Steve Corica's team after that uh, shock loss at home to the Mariners. A couple of goals for, for Patrick Wood, another young uh, emerging striker. Yeah, uh, look, it was a cracking game to start off with, actually, very high tempo. MacArthur probably had the better of it, to be honest with you. And obviously, the red card of Millsy turned everything around. Sydney still looked like a decent side, uh, took their chances. Uh, Federici probably wouldn't be so happy with the first, the first one. But then after that, it was a uh, it was good night. They got the first, second, and third. Sydney deserved winners. I'm not sure about that. MacArthur had a good uh, count of themselves. 
Uh, Maury, Western United nil, Melbourne victory nil. Uh, Mark Rudin at the end of the game blowing up about uh, the VAR and the lack of uh, cameras to, to give the correct angles. What was your take on it? Look, I mean, I've got to, I've got to side with Rudes here, I think, because if we're going to have VAR, and I'm not a, I've said all along, I'm not a fan of it, but it's there. And if we're going to have it, then we need to have all the cameras. We need to have all the tools in place for it to be done in the correct manner. Um, obviously, a doubt over the camera angle, Simon. So I totally understand where where Rudes is coming from. And the reality is that'll be because we're cutting corners financially. Yep. That's uh, unfortunately the truth in terms of the coverage. Um, a word before we move on from that game on Andrew Durante. Uh, 400 National League games. Goodness me, there's not too many players that do that. And still going strong. Maury, you would know better your position. So obviously you guys can play longer there because you don't run as much. <laughs> says, the, says the goalkeeper. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the smart the smart ones can still play with a cigar in their mouth, spides. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but the, and I'll tell you what, what what a career he's had um, to, to to reach 400 games at any level is, is immense. He's been a true professional, and as you say, Spider still going going strong. Great leader. I think he's really grown into that, um, and I'm sure he's he's giving huge benefit to to the playing group and the younger players around about him. But uh, well done, Andrew Gerante. Yeah. When you when you consider that uh, he had that horrific injury, didn't he? Broken leg at the outset of the A League. Um, he's done very well to come back from that and and have such a long career. And of course, uh, played international football as well, not for Australia but uh, for New Zealand. And um, Brisbane Raw defeating Adelaide United by three goals to one. Uh, Brisbane Raw top of the league. It's been a while since we've been able to say that. A couple of goals for uh, Dylan Wenzel Halls and Spider. They got three home games. Uh, to come at Dolphin Stadium. So they're in a, a good position, Warren Moon's team. And playing good. Playing good brand of football. Uh, they've continued on from last year. They really have. Uh, they, they look like they're enjoying themselves. They're creating a lot of chances. Uh, fair play to them. And recruited well. Mm. Yeah. And, the, and they've got goals, Maury, in this team now. Not just Wenzel Halls. They've got Scotty McDonald, of course. Uh, they've just signed Golgo Mabratu. They've got uh, Masato Kudo, the Japanese international. Another Japanese boy, uh, Riku Danzaki, who's doing pretty well. So they've got options in attack, which perhaps they, they didn't have so much uh, last year. And I forgot Joey Champness, of course. Joey Champness. And obviously, you've got from a deeper position, O'Shea, who, who does mm -hmm. very well. So, look, this is... Um, a team that certainly haven't lost anything um, added a bit more depth. Um, but I tell you what, what a great watch, you know, at, at Dolphin Oval, um, seeing a, a, a boutique kind of stadium, good atmosphere, a bit of a zip on the pitch as well. Uh, it was a very entertaining game. Dylan Wenzel Halls is, is a goal scorer um, and he's real, really now, I think, growing into believing that he is a, a, an A-League player that can score regular. So, yeah, well done to Brisbane. Or Denzel Halls, as uh, Bozza calls him. Um, Central Coast Mariners <laughs> uh, losing at home to Wellington Phoenix. First win of the season uh, uh, for the Knicks. Uh, another goal for Alu Cool, who's another youngster who's really emerging this season. Uh, and a couple of problems for the Mariners' spider. Oli Bazanic, uh, I think, popped a shoulder during the game. Daniel Bauman's picked up a hamstring injury. Uh, so maybe things just started to turn a little bit uh, for the Mariners. Yeah, ain't it funny about how football is? They totally dominated this game. Mm. They, they actually should have won this game and they lost. 
So how many times have you heard Central Coast uh, say things like that last year? And those injuries, Bozanic has been immense, as Maury would say, for him this year. Uh, Bowman getting an injury. Hopefully the wheels won't fall off because they actually look like they're actually enjoying their football and they're very, very competitive. They lost a game of football today that they probably shouldn't have, but that, that is that is a part of the game at the moment. Hopefully, they'll, I'm sure they'll dust themselves off and move on. Uh, Melbourne City 2, Perth Glory 3, Maury. A great response from the Glory after uh, that late defeat against Victory a few days ago, which must have stung them. Uh, Nick D'Agostino with uh, one of the goals. Big year ahead for him with uh, the Tokyo Olympics theoretically at least uh, going to take place. Yeah, and look, uh, Dags is, you know, he, he getting into the box and scoring headers. People don't fancy picking him up, but he's, he's, quite, he's quite good in the air for a young fella. But I think that was a game that... that, that broke Melbourne City, uh, but it's a great result. Perth Glory actually do have a decent record and, and, and do well against Melbourne City, uh, who are still showing at the moment, although Spider and I tipped them for the competition. A little bit hit and miss, Spides, at the moment. Uh, we've got to be honest, but it's a huge, huge result for, for Perth Glory and a good way to bounce back. More miss, Maury, for Melbourne City. I, I watch them and I'm just thinking, surely they're going to get better. Now, at the moment, they, they just don't seem to be getting any better. Uh, they've got good players that the team probably just hasn't gelled at the moment because I thought they were poor against Perth, to be honest with you. What about uh, Glory, the great entertainers, hey? Um, they win 5-3, they lose 5-4, they win 3-2. Um, and sticking with Tando Vilapi between the posts, he's changed things up a, a little bit, uh, Richard Garcia, very inexperienced uh, defensive back line, and uh, maybe that's why they concede in a fair few goals. But, uh, yeah, yeah, they can score them at the other end, which is uh, obviously a major bonus. Um, just a, a word on the W League. Um, Michelle Heyman thought she'd equaled Sam Kerr's all-time W League record of 70 goals, then had it chalked off, ruled as an own goal back on 69, but uh, still a great finish for her other strike. And also with the W League, this drama with the Fox Sports feed, uh, cutting to a guy sat at his laptop with a tuba <laughs> in the background, which was all rather bizarre. Uh, and people are irritated, uh, I think understandably so, because th this is not the first time it's happened this season. There are, there are clearly corners being cut, as you mentioned, Maury, um, and the coverage is suffering. Yeah, no, it is. It is, Simon. Uh, it's not a. It's not a good look for the game. Uh, it's not been the first time that it's happened. Um, and again, we're, we're Australian football is in a in a position now where we're trying to work to a better future. At the moment, Fox Sports seem to be the only uh, potential broadcasters, unless there's like says these conversations going behind closed doors. But this is not acceptable. This is not a. This is not good enough. Um, if if they really care about the product, then these things wouldn't be happening. Uh, and I'm quite I'm quite strong on that um, because we need to up the anti professionalism across the board. And uh, when your broadcaster is is not fulfilling their role, then that's a huge concern. Mm. Yeah, uh, we shall see what happens. Obviously, only five months to go now of uh, the current TV deal and uh, whether they will renew with Fox or go with somebody else or go it alone, who knows? But uh, surely a decision has got to be taken 
pretty soon. Um, Spider, the Champions League draw for our clubs took place this week. Only the one automatic qualifier, of course, due to our poor results in that competition, unfortunately. Sydney paired with Jombuk Motors again, um, Gambra Osaka and Tampines Rovers from Singapore. Brisbane got a qualifier against Kaya, which, uh, as I said this week, I think that will, um, given that they're from the Philippines, will bring back horrible memories of Ceres Negros for them. Uh, and Melbourne City on their debut getting uh, Shan United from Myanmar at home. What did you make of the draw? Look, Sydney's draw is ugly. Uh, that's, that's for sure. Uh, the other two should qualify, surely. Um, you would think that the other two teams would qualify. They are quite weak op- opposition that we've got. And I don't like using that word at the moment, weak, because we know football in Asia is developing very quickly, but surely we're good enough to win those games. Yeah. Look, I'm going to take issue with you just on that one point uh, with regards to Brisbane's game against Kaya. And I think the evidence is, uh, you know, there in, in my intro there that a few years ago, Brisbane drew Maury Sedas Negros and everybody went, yep, that, that'll, that'll be fine. They're at home against a team from the Philippines. They'll walk that one. Uh, and then it's about the next qualifier. I call that game, and let me tell you, it was men against boys, and mm-hmm. Ceres Negros were a level above Brisbane. Mm-hmm. That, that was the the night of the famous debacle with the shirts, with the numbers. Yeah. And I know that you were you were there that night, Maury. Um, but do we seriously still underestimate uh, Asian football, and in particular parts of the world that we don't know too much about? I think. Uh- you raise a very good point, Simon. And if we needed a reminder, um, that particular game that you called, um, and, and I was also involved in that, um, it turned horribly wrong for Brisbane Raw, but also uh, in terms of Australian football. You cannot, and Spider touched on it, you cannot take anything for granted because the Asian, the Asian teams have got quality players that are technically very, very good and love nothing more than trying to come and get one over on the on the, their Australian, uh, you know, so-called stronger nation, all that sort of stuff. A game of football, if you're not prepared well um, and you don't go about your business, these teams can hurt you. Not only hurt you, they can actually win football matches and, and cause, you know, shocks. But is it a shock anymore, you know, with the amount of money that they're spending in their game? Maurice, just on that game, without wishing to, uh, you know, rake up old ghosts, did the club do their diligence on on Ceres Negros? Did you know what they were all about? Did you did you understand the threat that they posed? Because I remember calling the game and thinking, "Well, this team is not just competitive. They're they're actually a lot better than Brisbane. They had some great players. Stefan yeah. Schrock, who went on to play at the Asian Cup, and I think they had a, a fair few Filipinos of, of European extraction. So physically, that they weren't intimidated either." No, they weren't at all. The hard thing leading into that game, Simon, was actual uh, footage and vision of mm. uh, the team playing. That was that was the issue. I mean, you're, you're trying your very best. I know John Aloisi was trying his very best. We, You know, whatever games we had, uh, we were able to view. Um, but there just wasn't a lot um, to be able to sort of like delve into too much. But at the end of the day, I think at that state, you know, Brisbane was still... Uh, ahead in the game in a, in a comfortable position, but you're right. They they actually got stronger as the game mm. went on, and, and not only not only looked more likely, they deserved their result. Let's not take that away from them. Um, so technically, like I says, very very good. Physically, sometimes Simon can be the the argument, um, but they certainly 
physically weren't, weren't um, struggling against us. So you've got that mix, then anything is possible. Yeah, very interesting night uh, that was uh, for many reasons. Um, a couple more uh, issues before we move overseas. Sorry to bring that up, Maury. Um, Daniel Arzani Spider has got a loan move to Aarhus in, in Denmark. It's, I think a lot of Aussies tend to end up at Aarhus, don't they? Mustafa Amini was there and, and one or two others. Is it Zach Duncan? Um, but th th this is an opportunity for him, and uh, it's one really that he, he's got to take after disappointing at Utrecht. Look, my, my thoughts on players going to Denmark, I think it's a very good platform to start your career in Europe. Now, obviously, other Aussies have gone there and done decent, so they keep taking Aussie players. But Daniel Arzani is probably in a different boat. He's actually going there to actually really play for his European lifeline because he's had two opportunities already in Europe. And I think it's a good one. Instead of going back to Australia, I think this is a good one for him to actually wake up and start to actually show his qualities. See if he does. Um, Caleb Watts, Maury, uh, an yeah. Aussie that we don't know too much about and uh, came out of nowhere and made his Premier League debut for Southampton against uh, Arsenal last week. Yeah, look, I know a little bit about Caleb Watts because I worked um, when the, the 17s went to the World Cup in Brazil, November 2019. And very good player, Simon. Very good. Has a, a bit of a swagger about him. Um, you know, he kind of can play in any of the forward areas behind the nine. So, you know, he drifts into wide areas, probably more uh, comfortable central. Um, but he's a good talent and, you know, he'll only be 18 now, I think. Um, if 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 18 and to have an opportunity um, for Southampton and, and be involved in the Premier League tells me that he's doing all the right things at his football club and that's exciting because we don't have many in this particular position um, or situation where they're that close to, to Premier League football so fantastic for Caleb Watts um, he is one that I know about. Okay, keep uh, an eye on him. Uh, final one for you, Spider. Uh, back on the domestic game, a uh, bit of chat on the National Second Division. Football Australia this week said to be looking at alternatives or at least other models to the one put forward by the AAFC in their report, which, of course, we talked about a couple of weeks back. Um, you sort of get the impression that, I don't know, they're a bit lukewarm about all this. Uh, still talking about conferences, end-of-season Champions League-style playoffs for the existing MPLs. We've got to take a decision on this, haven't we? I mean, if, if the yeah. clubs can afford it, in my opinion, and they're willing to take the fiscal risk, there's nothing on the, on the, the Federation or the A-League clubs or anybody else. We've got to go for it, haven't we? What's the yeah, whole thing? Yeah, I, I read that, Simon, in the rundown that you sent through, and I'm still shocked that they basically are saying, well, let's keep it as an MPL and then just play Champions League with the winners at the end of it. Yeah, and we've got that at the moment with the MPL yeah, final. Correct. We've got that already. So I don't think that's the answer. The answer is to select these clubs that are going to be in the second division and start a second division. Mm, I totally agree. I think uh, the sooner we get it up and running, the better. We don't need automatic promotion and relegation just yet. I think once the league succeeds, if it does then the clamour for that will come naturally. But uh, we, we've got to stop talking and start doing, really. Um, the game needs to make some progress. All right, so let's head overseas. London Calling. London Calling.
go further with the Australian College of Physical Education. With more than 100 years of experience, ACPE's courses are designed to get you career ready. Their bachelor degrees in sports performance and business, health science, applied fitness, education and dance can help turn your dream into a career. Find out where ACPE can take you. Apply online today for Semester 1 2021 at acpe.edu.au. Um, let's start at uh, Stamford Bridge, guys. Uh, the departure of Frank Lampard that we discussed uh, could be uh, imminent last week. It did actually happen. They've appointed Thomas Tuchel, um, and he's got his first win, a 2-0 success against Burnley. Is that the right appointment for Chelsea? Well, look, Frank, Frank Lampard um, will, will consider himself extremely unlucky in terms of um, club legend. You'd like to be thinking that you're going to get a bit of time. But we know Abramovich is absolutely ruthless. Um, and, and unfortunately for Frank Lampard, he'll find his feet somewhere else. Thomas Tuchel, I think, will come in, Simon, and has come in. I think he's the right man for the job. I think he'll do a good job uh, at Chelsea. Um, I think he'll make improvements. I think he'll get um, the best out of players. And um, he's, 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 he's going to have to be successful because, like I says, Abramovich is, is ruthless. But I do believe Thomas Tuchel can improve things. Whether or not that sees Chelsea winning trophies, I'm not so sure. I think Abramovich, uh, Spider, has gone through something like 16 managers, including caretakers, which is phenomenal, isn't it, when you think about it? It's, in, it's incredible. And I think I said, I hope Lampard doesn't get the sack last week. And the next morning he was gone. So that didn't last <laughs> long. But look, I think he signed some good players, Lampard. I, I really yeah. do. And I think they were probably not quite ready yet. But I think his biggest problem with... Simon, correct me if I'm wrong, but he spent a lot of money this year. Yeah, 200 and, million. Uh, yeah. yeah, and he and he was nowhere near the top four, top five. So, yeah, he was destined to say, oh, you spent this much money, you're mid-table, not good enough, gone. One guy loses his job at PSG. Three weeks later, he's done a great job like this at uh, at Chelsea. It, it's incredible football. That That's the world of football. Ruthless, uh, move on. I think he'll do a good job. Uh, too cool for sure. Don't think Chelsea needed an advisory board, do you? To, to no. make an appointment. decisions <laughs> Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Um, in terms of the title race, Manchester City have gone uh, three points clear of United. Uh, only a narrow win over Sheffield United, and it was a tough win. Uh, Gabriel Jesus with the winner, but uh, City now five clean sheets in a row. And, and All right, basically, smiling. <laughs> All right. All I'm, right. I'm trying to put my journalist hat on here. Forget the fact that I'm a Man City fan. Uh, the thing that's probably as impressive as anything from this uh, City team at the moment, not just the clean sheets, but the fact that really for most of the season, they played without a striker because Aguero's barely been there and Jesus is only just back. You know what the thing is with Man City, guys? Everyone, everyone remembers what an attacking, free-flowing, goal-scoring machine they are. How many goals they conceded in the last 12 games? Mm. Yeah, one. Money. One. No, but Spy, and Spide, you bang on. Um, Diaz has been incredible. Um, you know, we, we know that Laporte, obviously, uh, going back a couple of seasons ago, I don't think he missed a game. Uh, and then he, he'd been out for a while. And then all of a sudden, City was struggling defensively, Simon Hett. But Diaz, Diaz has come in and added a real bit of steeliness to this Manchester City defence. Um, and we know that they've got players 
even though Aguero's not starred, we still know that they've got players. And Gundogan is is absolutely on fire as well. So Man City, we spoke about a few weeks ago. Not not a lot of noise, but look where they are. Yeah, the strange thing. Table. The strange thing is, Ruben Diaz, I think, was only second or third choice uh, centre back that they w- went into the market for. I think they were after Koulibaly, weren't they, initially from uh, Napoli? Um, uh, Liverpool back on track, starting to climb back up the table after their little uh, wobble, back to back successes. Uh, Mo Salah getting a double in their latest win against West Ham. That's, that's a big win. Uh, and, and the one before against Tottenham as well. Two big wins in the space of four or five days uh, for Liverpool, Spider. They're back. Uh, they're back. They they had the wobbly boot there for about a month, uh, where they couldn't score. But they've they're back with a vengeance. Uh, played very well tonight. It was a very tricky match for them to go to West Ham, who were absolutely flying themselves. So to to back the win up after beating Tottenham, uh, they're back. This title race is getting more and more exciting. I tell you, Spides. But in saying that, Liverpool weren't great the first half. No. West Ham had some opportunities. Liverpool weren't great, uh, but the second half it was it was Liverpool of old. Um, and and I mean Salah scored a great first goal, but his second goal uh, and the way um, they counterattacked and the quality with three passes. There was a clearance of a header, ball down the line. Shakiri, a great ball, an amazing touch by Salah, and and fantastic finish. So Liverpool very very happy to finish off what was a tough game and was strong in the end, but first half weren't great. Is it Manchester United's turn to have the wobbles? They drew at Arsenal, nil-nil. They've uh, dropped points uh, for the third time in four matches. Did you always expect that this was going to be the case with United or not? I, I, I thought I thought the game against Arsenal was actually a decent match. Again, I've seen a few zero-zeros lately that have actually been cracking games. So, like, you look at the result and you say, ah, zero, zero. But Man United played well, but so did Arsenal. So, I mean, yeah. two very good sides. Man United, we have, have to be happy with a point going to Arsenal. Like, you can't just say, I'm going, to, I'm going to the Emirates, I'm going to take three points. I think they'll be happy with a point. You know, they'll be really disappointed they lost to Sheffield United, that's for sure. But if you're in the title race, answer me this. If Manchester City or Liverpool go to Arsenal, are you happy with a point? If you're in the title race, particularly with where Arsenal are at at the moment, you've got to be going to the uh, the Emirates and thinking, we've got to win there, don't you think? Yeah, I, 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 I agree with you, uh, Simon. I think, look, I know it was a decent match. Um, I know, Spider, in hindsight, you go, OK, a draw uh, away, to, away to Arsenal. But Man United, for me, didn't really have that belief to, to, to have that feeling that we can go and win this game of football, if, if that makes sense. And if you can't have that belief um, in a game like this, then I struggle to see how you can win a title. Yeah, possibly so. I, I really think, guys, it's a really difficult situation for everyone. So now looking for all teams, look at the games, the teams that have lost over the Real Madrid got beat at home to Levante, for God's sake. Like, it is a really crazy time. So, if you're going away to Arsenal and taking a point, I'd be happy with that. I know what you're saying, Simon, about title contenders, but Man City are having a run now that's just insane for this period of the year. Absolutely insane. 
Mm. Well, that's true. Uh, 12 consecutive wins in all competitions, but uh, uh, Liverpool obviously back on uh, the bike, so to speak, and that's what you've got to do if you're going to win titles. Um, anyway, I don't think Spurs are going to win the title this year. Uh, they lost overnight to Brighton by a goal mm-hmm. to nil. Um, they've lost Harry Kane as well. Uh, when you consider just uh, a few short weeks ago, Jose Mourinho's team were top of the table. How quickly things can change. And Chelsea as well, you know, they had that, I think it was a 19-game unbeaten run, and then they've uh, literally dropped off a cliff. It's uh, it's a real topsy-turvy season. Um, Spider, you've segued uh, <clears throat> nicely into Real Madrid there. Um, they lost, of course, to third division Alcoyano in the Copa del Rey. And as you rightly pointed out, lost at the weekend to Levante. They're 10 points now behind Atletico Madrid. And Zinedine Zidane, COVID and all, poor guy. Uh, is he under a little bit of pressure? Probably more than that at the moment, I would imagine, after that result. Well, seriously, I don't want to put the mocker on him because last week uh, I said Lampard was safe, gone in the morning. Uh, Zizou, I, Zizou, I said uh, they probably won't get rid of him because they've got bigger things to fry, but now they've lost this match. He's, he could be in trouble as well. Stay tuned tomorrow morning. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Maury, in terms of the big two in Spain, not happy times at the moment, not just for Real Madrid, but also for Barcelona. Their annual accounts revealing they're a billion euros in debts. Uh, Leo Messi, of course, is out of contracts. They've got no full-time president. They've got no sporting director. They're unhappy with Paris Saint-Germain, threatening legal action for tapping up Messi. Uh, it is all a, a bit messy, isn't it, <laughs> Barca? To pardon, yeah. If you'll pardon the pun. And one thing to add to that, Simon, that's come out today, uh, Barcelona also not happy that Messi's contract has been leaked, mm. uh, El Mundo, and um, Barcelona now trying to sue uh, El Mundo because Messi's contract has been leaked. Uh, it's only £492 million pound over the period of four years. So I think that com- comes in at £123 million a year. Mm. Um but that was all. That was all the news today. But it just seems like it is a it is a huge mess at Barcelona with so many issues, and they're going to have to get back to a, a massive, massive rebuild. Whether Messi's part of that, we, we, you know, Messi can only go to two clubs, can't he? Can only go to Man City or PSG. You would think so. Um, and it does appear as though Barcelona are just at war with the world at the moment, when really they should be focusing on what's happening on the pitch. Um, Kylian Mbappe being linked with a move to Real Madrid. I'm not sure he'd want to go there at the moment, <laughs> given where Real Madrid are at, but uh, they've still got that status as a as a huge uh, super club. Maybe Messi to replace him at PSG. Who knows? Uh, the moving of the deck chairs on the Titanic springs to mind. Um, Spider, I want to ask you about these comments from uh, Andrea Agnelli, the Juventus uh, man mm. on the European Super League just this last week. He was, he was talking at a... Uh, an online address to the eThink Sports Conference, um, which I've never heard of, I must admit, um, saying more European games, the key to attracting football fans of the future. This is all with regards to the European Super League, of course. And, and this quote worries me. This worries me a lot. This is what Agnelli said. Do we want to approach the future with a nostalgic or a progressive view? Now, progressive, I think, in the eyes of Agnelli and others like him is a Super League which essentially has 11 core members and we all know who they're going to be the established old G14 clubs and another five who are going to be at risk of relegation and it's going to be a closed shop for those big boys 
to earn more money. Simple as yeah. that. Simple as that. And that's that's scary for him to even come out. That means they're deep into talks about this mm-hmm. starting. Deep into talks. Uh, that's a that's a worrying sign. Um, I don't know if you guys agree with what's happened with football uh, in the last year and a half with this COVID. Um, has this actually escalated it and brought it on even quicker? Because it's scary times. And I, I don't think it should happen. I don't think they should allow it to happen. But these guys are too big. Money talks all languages. We know that. Yeah, and, that and that's the thing. That's the thing that does concern me. This seems to be all about money and actually not about football uh, in terms of making it um, an opportunity for all. Spied, you know, like it's, it's purely money driven. Yeah. Well, it, the principles of football, and it's strange, isn't it? Because we here in Australia are continually arguing about the need to adopt global practice in terms of uh, different divisions and promotion and relegation. <clears throat> and I think we all agree that that's you know, a fundamental of football uh, and what makes it so fascinating and interesting around the world. And yet, strangely enough, at the top level, they're considering going the other way. Um, and making it a closed shop because they want to uh, concentrate the money and the interest on, on those super clubs. I'd, I wonder, Spider, whether there's any coincidence, particularly with regards to the Premier League. I think it's now 10 or 11 clubs in the Premier League have American interests. Mm-hmm. Either they're fully owned by American interests or at least partly owned by American interests. And of course, their sporting experience is of closed shop leagues. Yep. Yep, hundred percent. And you know what, Simon? They would know exactly what kind of monies are behind what kind of money is behind these uh, adventures. So they're they're big businessmen who know how to turn up, turn over big amounts of money. And we all know how big these clubs are. We all know how much following these clubs have around the world. This is basically a Champions League format, week in, week out. It's, let's not kid ourselves. It's it's actually huge if it happens but it'll kill the other leagues. Um, one more on this. Uh, Maury, I want to ask you this. You know, you, me and Spider, we're, we're gentlemen of a certain age, 40s, 50s. Is Agnelli theoretically right? Are, are we being nostalgic for the past? Should we move with the times? Are the next generation of football fans, do they not care about promotion and relegation? Do they literally just want to watch... Leo Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Man United, Bayern Munich, playing off every week. Is that their experience and, and what they want from you know, their sport? Look, for me again, Simon, I, I, hope, I hope not because what for me makes football so great is are the highs and lows and the, and the, the you know, David v. Goliath kind of, kind of scenarios. Um, and, and I think that tradition... Uh, should should always be be kept and the, the power plays look com- commercially I understand it because it brings in a huge amount of dollars um, but for me I would like to see it the way that it's always been um, you know the Champions League is a great competition the Europa League is a great competition I understand where they're going with this but if it if it damages the rest of the the, the, the leagues and the opportunities for clubs and and countries to not only survive, but to thrive. And I'm kind of a, a little bit against it, if I'm being honest. Mm. Yeah, oh, got, got, sorry, yeah, go Simon, go on. Go on, Simon. No, I, I mean, I think all, all of us of, of our generation are against it because, you know, we grew up with promotion relegation. As I say, 
you know, just to repeat what the question was is, is the next generation's um, approach, their mindset uh, different? You know, they're growing up in a different world to the one that we grew up in. Um, and, and maybe all they are interested in is watching those big clubs. I'm not saying it's right. And I don't say I agree with it. I'm just trying to play devil's advocate here and say, you know, maybe we just are, are not listening or hearing what the next generation have to say. Yeah, but what about what about all the people that actually are uh, brought up through generations supporting clubs? What if you're not one of the big big club supporters? Oh, I totally agree, club, Spider. Totally. And agree. your club actually survives on the money and the TV revenue of playing these big clubs. And th this is what scares me about it. Like I mean, these big clubs will be fine. They'll always be fine. It's the other ones that I'm worried about. And it's and this filters through into Australia as well because we're talking about A-League at the moment because the A-League is the dominant league. It's the number one league. But what about the poor clubs underneath the A-League? For the game to grow and survive, we need all of them to prosper. Go on, Maury. I was just going to say, I mean, look, we can talk about the best players in the world um, and the best competitions in the world. But see when it's a little bit one-sided? You know, like, now, look at Rangers this season, for example, Simon. Um, now... Don't get me wrong, I'm absolutely delighted that Rangers are going to win the league, but they're that far ahead that it it's it, it's it's not it doesn't feel it doesn't feel the same, you know. But like the flip side is if you're watching a Messi and Neymar and you're watching them every single week, they're amazing, amazing players. But that does that wear wear thin as well over time, you know? Like you want to mm. football football is about and the differences um, and the, the yeah, the variety and the different challenges and the new emerging talent and, and it's it's so many different things. So I think to your question, do you know, do we want to see the best players week in, week out? Is that what the, the new generation want to see? Maybe they do, but um, like I said, it's just not my view. Nor mine, to be fair. Okay, uh, a couple of things to finish off. Uh, how about Marseille fans forcing the postponement of their game in France with Rennes, uh, protesting against the club officials? Blimey, uh, that's what passion does. Um, <laughs> almost literally trying to tear the, uh, the training ground down brick by brick. Uh, and in South America, congratulations to Palmeiras, uh, winning the Copa Libertadores against Santos with a goal eight minutes into stoppage time, we tend to sort of pay lip service a little bit to South American football, but it is huge, not just on that continent, but 191 countries around the world were watching that particular game. Um, and we pay it no attention in Australia whatsoever. Extraordinary. Um, all right, let's head into our final segment, Footballers Lives. Footballers Lives. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
Well, our guest today was born in Perth in 1972. He began his career with Floriat Athena, then West Adelaide, before he headed over to England in 1995 to sign with West Ham United. After four years at Upton Park, he switched north to Birmingham City, where he stayed seven seasons before finishing off his career back in WA with Perth Glory. He won 60 caps for the Socceroos and, of course, was a part of the 2006 World Cup squad. And he still lives in Perth from where he joins us now. It's a big podcast welcome to Stan Lazaridis. How are you, Stan? Hey, Simon. Thanks for that intro. Great to see you, mate. Um, what are you up to these days? I know that you've you've had a very busy day today because of the, the little COVID scare in WA. What, what's all, yeah. been all that about? Yeah, obviously, um, it's the UK virus has escaped through the... Uh, hotel quarantine and one of the security guards picked that up and and the premier um has made a five-day lockdown so it sent kind of mass panic over here in perth and we've been largely for the last 10 11 months we've been pretty free from it so um yeah and this morning um i had to uh, one of my things uh, one of my properties uh, uh was a shopping center and so i had to get out there and be vigilant and um, but it all seems okay we're all okay and I think Australians in general act uh, pretty accordingly and so um, yeah at the moment all okay. So apart from owning a shopping centre what else (laughs) what else are you up to? Uh, No it sounds obvious oh look it's um, look not so much in football um, unfortunately but um, yeah largely I've been in property and I've been in property since even been with uh, as as I was a, as a footballer, so um, and I always just thought that football was never going to last forever, and there was always limited jobs. I wasn't intelligent as you are, so uh, <laughs> I was never going to be a journalist or anything like that. So um, I, I naturally had this path of maybe going into property, and that's where it went for me. Um, but I love the game, and I, I miss it. And um, but it's still watched a lot of the ex players and uh, been coaches or journalists or, or puns, whatever it may be. Um, and still love, I love my country, of course, and follow anything to do with Australia, whether it be for the females or the males and all the different groups. So, um, yeah, it's just a shame the time we're living in at the moment, really. Mm. Uh, let's, go, let's go back all the way to your childhood in Perth. Uh, as the son of Greek migrants, was football in your blood? Yeah, I mean, for, for like my family, um, that was their outing. You know, that you know, they were going off to restaurants or things like that. Uh, we'd be going to the football club, and that was where everybody else met of the same kind of origin. Um, and you know, we'd watch our team play, and then um, my dad always encouraged me that you know, I should be playing sport. Um, and those days, there's no phones and laptops and all those sort of thing that exists today. Um, and yeah, I just was watching my brother play uh, one time, and they were a player short. And, um, four or five years above me, and then I happened to join in and and be the best player on the field. And they said, "Hey, <laughs> your brother's really good. We'll have him instead of him." And it just went from there, really, Simon. Right. Were you always a winger? You, I presume you always had that uh, searing pace, even as a kid. Yeah. I think, yeah. I, I didn't really realise how quick I was, but I, I think there are other players faster. I think what it was with me is I ran as fast without the ball. And with the ball, and I think it, it was just kind of deceiving, and I had that extra stride, that length, and I could just get the ball around and whip it in to the guys like Viduka and Yakuls and Johnny Hartsons and all these sort of guys I was very lucky to play with, and um, 
And I think that's what it was. I, I you know, just get out of my way. Let me run into the space. And, um, I wasn't as technically gifted as some of the other players, or a lot of the other players, should I say. Um, but um, yeah, I was just different. I guess I'm a different. Um, and I guess um, I fitted the team. And being a left footer, I think, you know, left footers, are, I guess, are a rarity. Um, in particular, I mean, as going with the Aussies, we we're lucky because we had three or four of us at the time. Um, so it definitely opened the door up for me, particularly to go overseas as well. After you played with with Florian Athena, of course, you had to go to Adelaide to play for West Adelaide to get a chance in, in the National Soccer League because there was no team in Perth in those days. So you, you had to go interstate. Yeah, I mean, and that was a shame really because there's a lot of other West Australians that um, it was just too difficult to, to leave. Um, and there was many other players and uh, unfortunately for a lot of them, they didn't really um, go that next step. But for me, I, I don't know, I just felt I needed to um, take that next step. I felt um, I was just climbing up the ladder really quickly at a young age. I think, well, what's the next hurdle? What's the next one? Um, and then you're right, you know, I had to go into state um, and ended up at West Adelaide. I was very lucky. I had a, a great coach, manager, mentor, Raul Blanco, that um, was like a father to me there. Um, and I was so lucky because he kind of even pushed me into the Aussie setup with the late um, Eddie Thompson and the Frank Arox and these sort of people. And, um, and then before too long, uh, couple of years after that I was overseas it just it escalated so quickly and I was just in this fantastic group of players that I didn't really realize how good we all were you mm. know it was just weird it's weird Simon you know um Do you, and, sorry go on no no it just even now as I'm, as I'm speaking to you um because yeah, I, I forget you know you forget mm. sometimes and you'll mention a player um, and I played with like guys like Ned Zelliches and Paul Oak on Skokos, you know, and the list can go on. Um, yeah, Vadukis, Kills, Timmy Kales, uh, and, and yeah, Craig Moores, the goalkeepers, Schwartz of Bosnich, um, Zalko Kalis. But, you know, like, there were so, so many of us that it wasn't just one to 11. It was kind of like one to 30, you know. So, um, yeah, really, really special group. I'll ask you about your soccer days in a bit. I just want to continue with the NSL theme for a moment. Um, I don't know if you uh, can cast your mind back to the, your first season with West Adelaide and you actually played a, a finals two-legged playoff against uh, Adelaide City and you went out on, on the away goals rule. I think you might have even scored in that uh, two-legged tie as well. Do you remember yeah. those derbies and, and how good <laughs> and how big were they at the time? Oh, fantastic. I mean, Adelaide City, I think, was virtually the Socceroos. Mm. I mean, uh, there was seven, seven starting players in that, in that uh, team with Zoran Matic. Um, players like uh, Ivanovic, Tobin, Damian Morris, uh, Joey Mullins, and um, Vietz, the Vidmar brothers, Zabika and goal. I mean, it was a phenomenal team. And it was just the passion uh, between the two sets of supporters. And in those days, it was, it was in ethnic base. So you had kind of the large Italian community against the kind of the Greek community. Um, but then that kind of um, cleansed away and it, and it brought in more supporters, which was great. Um, but the rivalry, I mean, we packed out Hindmarsh Stadium there. I mean, there wasn't a spare seat in the house, you know. Um, and I remember Johnny Warren um, commentating, going, look, this is a bit of Europe over here. And, you know, and it was kind of special because Ralph Blanco created this team from scratch and, and kind of brought this back 
Um, I mean, Adelaide City were were very, very good and uh, under a great manager coach in Zoran Matic. Um, and, and it just emphasised just how good that NSL was back in those days. And you mentioned like your South Melbourne and Melbourne, Melbourne uh, United, Croatia, they were Croatian-based in those days, um, even some of the Sydney sides. It was a phenomenal league um, with some special players. So then you head over to England in the mid-90s. How did the move to West Ham come about? Oh, that was just right place, right time, Simon. Um, West Ham were on a tour down under playing against the Western Australian select team. And I got a call from Gary Williams, um, who was one of the promoters, and he rings me up and he goes, oh, look, Lazar, I, I just need you to play. I go, uh, what, do you, what do you want? I said, oh, I don't want anything. I just, I'll play if it's for the West Australian team, no problem. Uh, I go, could you just get my family in for free? That's all I ask. Can you just get them in for free and just look after them? That, that, that'll do, you know. Um, and, you know, West Ham had a really good side out. And, um, and here's the thing, you know, when you play with the, kind of your shackles off and um, kind of free, um, I, I wasn't thinking um, in the game that I was going to get picked up or I was on trial as such or anything like that. And I just had one of those games where I just felt really good and I was burning the left side up, down, up, down. And, you know, all these... Uh, even I remember the referee saying, well, can you slow down, will you? Because I've got to get up and I've got to get back. And, uh, it was quite funny. You know, I had one of those games, so we ended up winning the match. And and before no, before too long, I had Frank Lampard senior saying, oh, look, you know, Harry, go, look, fancy coming to England. And, you know, you're a really good kid. You remind me of Steve Highway from Liverpool. I didn't even know that. I mean, I've been a Liverpool supporter, but uh, I remember Robbie Slater telling me about this particular winger. And he goes, yeah, he's right. He's right. It reminds me of him. And, um, he goes, kid, just come over, just come over and have, spend a week. Just come and see London. Do you like the um, red buses and this and Buckingham Palace? And I thought, well, why not? You know, it really, I still wasn't thinking anything, Simon, you know. It, um, it was just nice. You know, it doesn't happen to a kid out of uh, the back suburbs in, in Perth and go to Adelaide and Australia. You know, everything was going so fast around me. Mm. Um, and, you know, I got West Adelaide's permission and, uh, at those, that time and um, you know they, they started talking transfer fees and I, I wasn't even thinking anything like that and anyway I had this week over in England I got picked up by Barry Silver as an agent uh, at the time I didn't even know he, he, he was just he was a greyhound racer I think and he, you know he also know, played for Manchester City by the way <laughs> I, I watched him yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you're right you're right, you're right, right. Uh, but yeah he was kind of funny really funny and um and yeah, it was just, I was so fast tracked that um, I had this week there and it was incredible. And I was scoring goals. I was under all these different names. I wasn't even on the Stan Lazaridis. I was the Stan Brown, Stan. I was all these different names. I didn't even know who I was. And the fans are trying to work out, who is this guy? But, um, you know, he's from Australia and it's Skippy. So it's Skippy, Skippy. And it was just um, really top club. It was such, it was so the right club for me to, to, to get my teeth in. I was so thankful to Harry for, for giving me a go and, and signing me in. Now, it, that was a real risk for him, um, you know, to make that move on a, on a young, unknown, mm. naive, kind of really green. I, you know, I was, you know, 20 odd years old, but I was just very young minded, you know, um, and he kind of groomed me up and, and eventually he did sell me. It was just, uh, and made it really good money. Um, but uh, mm. I didn't understand those 
how it worked over there in those yeah. days. There was there was quite an Aussie contingent there at the time. Robbie Slater, you mentioned Steve yeah. Mortone, Chris yeah. Coyne. Um, that must have helped you you settle uh, yeah. in London and sort of adapt to life in in the Premier League, which you, you did fairly quickly. Um, yeah. how, how did you enjoy those early days and playing under Harry Redknapp and in front of the Chicken Run and all that sort yeah. of stuff? Oh, look, Upton, Upton Park was special, the chicken run in particular. And, and they make up their minds straight away if they like you or not. And they like me, you know. I didn't always have the best games. Uh, but they, but when I did, I was really good. And and um, and I was a left-sided player. I was different. And you mentioned Robbie Slater. Robbie was great for me. He was like a big brother. Um, and he was excellent. Robbie was red hot in those days as well. And when he was like man of the match every other week, almost. Um and he was like, he lived around the corner. We'd catch up at night, whatever it was. And, um, you know, so sometimes he gave me a good hard talking to, sometimes he'd scream at me, so then he'd love me. And then it was one of those sort of things with Robbie's, you know. Love, hate. Uh, yeah, it was. But he was great. It was really what I needed for me. Mm. In particular. Um, but, yeah, playing from the chicken, Harry was like, uh, you know, um, a lot of his, when he's angry, he can actually be, funny to be honest and then when he's serious he's but but he was like the perfect per manager for me to really kind of toughen me up and and get me groomed um to to have a, a good career and so um it, it then as I was there for the uh, you know just over four seasons there um unfortunately I had to get so I didn't really want to leave I actually loved playing for him I said Harry I don't want to go I don't want to stay here and he goes but you got to go. I said, can I stay? <laughs> and it was funny. It was funny because I said, Harry, I don't want to go. Can I stay, please, please, please? And um, he goes, no, kid, you got to go. This is how it works here. And I said, oh, okay, I'm right. And then, um, yeah, they, he sold me for like over two, 2.5 million pounds, I think yeah. it was out to. It was phenomenal um, yeah. money back then. But he, he, was obviously, he was obviously a big fan of yours. I think he once said to you that if you'd have been English, you'd, you'd have played for, for the yeah. national team, for the English national team. Yeah, yeah. And then... Um, he just loved the way I played. And one thing with Harry is he loved footballers and he would always take a, he, he likes a pun and he always likes taking a, a pun on that. The ones that everyone else doesn't want to take, like you've got Paolo Di Canio at a time. Paolo was phenomenal. Oh, Berkowitz, Hartsons, these sort of guys. And and he, he was, he loved football. Harry liked um, his team to play football. It wasn't just kick and run and he, he loved good footballers. Um, but yeah, and he, he always said to me, he goes, you know, you left foot, if you, you know, if you're English, you'd play for England, as he said. Um, and then even when, after he'd sold me, even when he went to Portsmouth and um, Southampton's, I know he always goes, kid, do you fancy coming playing with me? <laughs> he, goes, he goes, I love you. You know, I love you. You know, and I said, oh, thanks, Harry. I'll go. I love it here when I met the Blues. And, and I really did. You know, yeah. when I moved to Birmingham, it, it, you never know. You don't know the move until, you know, on reflection, you know. But, um, you know, I really fell in love with the Birmingham City Football Club. That, mm. you know. We'll come on to Birmingham in a moment. I've got a Twitter question from uh, Cam Simsek who says, it's well documented how Harry Redknapp was a great man manager, but how tactically astute was he on match day? It's a good question. Um, I, look, I, look, I would say with, with, with Harry, um, he, he would always... Obviously, he relied on his really good players. So, mm. 
he'd always want the ball to be given to the guys like your know, Albert Fitzpalo de Canio, or, or if you'd say to me, just get the ball to stand, get out of his way, and just get in the box, you know? So, I mean, tactically, basically, you know, he just left it up to the individual many times. But then he also knew that you're playing Man United away, Arsenal away. They haven't lost a game. You know, he ain't going to go too gung-ho. And he, he, he kind of bolstered up the back, back line. He almost eight, nine players behind the ball. So there were moments like that. And then, you know, but you can see the goal. And then Harry then goes, well, what do we do now? So then all of a sudden we're, we're, we're trying to chase the game. And um, look, I, I would say to answer the question is um, he, he was better than, than what you probably imagine because um, he, he always signed really good players. Mm. And so really good players makes your job easier. Um, and uh, we'd figure it out. A lot of the time we'd figured it out on the field. And um, yeah, and I was lucky because I was around some really good players. In the West Ham team, if Harry had managed to keep a lot of those players, he would have had seven or eight England players playing. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned that you are going to all these wonderful grounds, to Highbury, to White Hart Lane, to Anfield, to Old Trafford. Um, Two-part question. Which one was your favourite to play at, aside of West Ham or St Andrews? Uh, and the goal that you scored against Newcastle at St James's Park, which uh, was an absolute thunderbolt, was that, was that the best one of your career? I think we had a Twitter question on that one as well. Yeah, oh, look, it was. I scored a really good one against Everton where... Robbie Savage will still say today he set me up, but he just gave <laughs> me the ball inside the 18-yard box of our goals, that is. Um, and it was, um, and I ran the length of the field, took on three, four, five, I can't remember any players it was. And, and Nigel Martin was in goals and I hit one in the top right-hand corner, I think. But St. James's one was, was um, you know, you know 50,000 people away from home. Um, the ball was passed to me on the halfway line. I had no one in front of me and a, Alan Shearer is charging down at me. And then i just seen Shay Given. I think I'm just off his, around the six-yard box. I thought, you know what? If I can hit this sweet, you never know. And I think there was a good wind blowing behind me at the time. I think it helped. But it just, it was one of those that just left. I thought, geez, I hit this well. <laughs> and then when I scored, I go, did I, score, did I really score this? You know? And then I said to myself, I can't really say exactly what I said to you on air here, but I said, what a something goal. And I was looking for the fans and I couldn't see them because I was kind of blinded. It, it was, um, and then my, the West Ham fans are behind me. And I just wanted to run to them, you know, I run to them and John Moncur goes, he goes, mate, do you know what you just did there? Do you know? And, it, and he was laughing and I was, uh, couldn't believe we ended up winning the game one nil. It was a cracking game. Harry, I, I mean, I can't tell you the one line that he told me after that. I mean, <laughs> he just loved me for the next month. That was I can shit. imagine. Um, as you mentioned, you, you moved to uh, Birmingham City. You had seven years in the yeah. English Midlands. Um, I, I want to ask you a story. I've, I think I've actually said this to you before. Yeah. I was actually doing a game for ITV where I was the pitch side reporter and I was, yeah. I was sat between the two managers. And Trevor Francis was the manager of Birmingham City at the time. And you were on my near touchline for the first yeah. half. Yeah. And he yelled at you for the entire 45 minutes. And then when you, in the second half, when you went on the opposite flank, he was still yelling at you for the, for the other 45 minutes, just obviously a lot louder because you were further away. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, I, I mean, Trevor and I got on really well, actually. But he was just, Trevor was just different. And 
he relied heavily on me to play well so we'd win the game. Uh, and so, um, and straight after that match, I think we ended up drawing that match from memory. Um, he came up to me, goes, oh, Stan, I think we need to share a glass of wine. I said, oh, all right. Okay, Trevor. He goes, right, don't go home. You're going to come into my room. We're going to share a glass of wine. And so, of course, we shared a glass of wine. And, um, yeah, he was just different. He, Trevor had a different way, but he, he would get all frantic on the, on the touchline and then straight after it would be one of those. Um, yep, okay, Stan. He did okay. There was a few things I wasn't too happy about, but um, here's a glass of red. It's a special one from France. I said, okay. Right. So it was like, yeah, it was one of those sort of uh, relationships. But I, I will say, um, um, yeah, I, Trevor and I got on really, really well. And his, his wife was excellent to, towards me as well. Mm. Fortunately, she passed away. But, um, um, yeah, look, he, he was um, a legend at the club and um, is really well loved. Um, I'll ask you about uh, your A-League days and, and the national team in just a moment. But just before we leave the Premier League, um, I know you were, you were great mates with Slaven Bilic during your, your time at, at West Ham. I think you're still friends to this day. Um, you, you played against the likes of Dennis Bergkamp and Ryan Giggs and David Beckham and Thierry Henry. Uh, I think you even had to mark Ruud Hullet uh, one day. And, and, and I think you also had a rock with Roy Keane in the tunnel uh, before one match. It, Pick out the, like the favourite memory and, and maybe the best player you played with or against, or both. Yeah, okay. Best, pl- uh, best player I played with, I think, uh, Arberkovic, Christoph Dugary, um, just technically these guys, which is Pallet Di Canio, I think, in that three, if I could, mm. you know, say that. But there were so many, you know, it's over so unfair to so many other greats. Uh, but those three were really, really special. Um the, the greatest teams, um, Man United, Treble, when they won the Treble, the, the Arsenal Invincibles for that mm-hmm. one or two years, phenomenal. Um, greatest moment, um, I think for me, uh, was play, Liverpool was my, uh, is my team, you know, growing up, it's my father's team. Um, special ground, Anfield. Um, but saying that, Old Trafford, Highbury, you know, in the, those days, Upton Park, what a special ground. St. Andrews for me, you know, because I played there. Um, but the greatest moment, and um, and oh, there were so many, but this one of the moments we played Liverpool at, at St. Andrews and Liverpool were red hot at the time and um, we were winning 2-0. I set up both goals. I was no man of the match. In the 91st, 92nd minute, because the board went up, Simon, I knew it was only a minute left gone out for a corner in the cop end of uh, the Blues supporters. And, of course, I was taking, I took all the corners, all the set pieces near enough. So I'm walking over there, and I had this moment where I just put the ball under, under, under my arm. and It's about a 20-metre walk, 15-metre walk. And literally the whole cop end, must be 10,000, just started singing, bow, kind of bowing to me. And I just looked up and acknowledged it, because a lot of the time, you know, as a player, you say, you're so kind of fixated on what you're mm. doing. But I knew we had, the game was in the bag. It was, you know, the corner was it. And I said to myself, don't ever, ever forget this moment because it didn't matter on, you know, um, monies or anything like that. It was just this special moment that your fans just really loved you at that time. And to acknowledge them, it was one of those moments afterwards that I thought, oh, this is this is special, really special. And 
Yeah, and in, in saying that, you had the 2000 and um, beat Uruguay and Australia qualifying, you know, mm. for the first World Cup. There, there were so many, but personally for me, it, it, in the special moments, that was one I'll never forget. You can't beat those moments, can you? Um, did you win that little rock that you had with Roy Keane? Oh, no way. I mean, that, that got scared me. I like, <laughs> no, you got Roy Keane's eyes looking. I mean, he was like, it was like exorcism. Like, he, he possessed my body. He goes, Ozzy, I'm going to kill you, Ozzy, Ozzy. And I'm like, oh, I go, Roy, I love you. I love you, Roy. You're my favourite player. And, of course, first tackle at Old Trafford, he comes through me and he goes, I I really would love to say more words here, but I can't. Uh, I see it goes, I told you, I told you, stay down, stay, don't get up. And I'm like, oh man, because this guy just get away from me. Uh, but he was what a competitor, what a what a captain, what a leader on the he had this kind of presence, you know, uh, you know, like a real captain. You, you know, you look back and think these great captains, and he was one, he led by example. He uh, he's one of those you'd be in the trenches with, you know. Mm. I was lucky and I played with guys like Craig Moores and Kevin Muskets and um, Kevin Musket, what, what a guy he was. He'd take a book, but he'd let you know as well. He'd be screaming at you from one side of the field and you'd be shivering when you hear his voice, you know? And it's just that he had that kind of, uh, Roy Keane was like that. Mm. Wow. Um, let's uh, talk, of course, you came back to play for, for Perth Glory. Um, tough two years and, and ended... In, in an unfortunate way, I know you've been through this a lot of times before, but um, perhaps not the way that you, you wanted to end your career on, on, a, on a bit of a, a low point. Yeah, it was. It was it's, I was so sad, you know, it was because um, I'd come back and I just wanted to play for Perth in my hometown. I wasn't, you know, I just wanted to put something back into the game as well. And um, unfortunately, you know, I, I, I had a bad kind of scalp problem it's, that it's kind of good now uh, since I retired. But, um, and I, I was taking medication for so many years. And um, it's interesting when I got drug tested because I didn't drug test for it. And I just told them, said, look, you do know that I take this medication. And they said, mm. no, I understand. Um, but write it down. And I kind of just, yeah, kind of gave my, kind of just, but I didn't know. I didn't realize I was doing anything. I didn't, didn't feel in it. And of course, the drug got taken off the list. and. Um, uh, but I got banned for it. And, and so, but to be honest with the whole Asana thing and everything, look, everyone was really good in many ways because it, it kind of got backed out and I, I didn't miss too much, but it wasn't that. I just, I just felt it was a little bit embarrassing for me because it was yeah. a, a personal issue that I, I was battling with for so many years. You know, I wasn't, I've never taken drugs. I'm so anti-drugs as it is anyway. Mm. Um, and um, I understand that's how it is, and and I just had to accept it, and 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 it kind of then I thought, oh, you know, what are people going to think of me? Um, I, I love my country. I, I just, you know, I love playing for Australia. It was one of those, um, you know, unconditional love that you have, and I gave my heart to my country. I just thought, oh, why, why has Australia done this to me? You know, but yeah. I did. I had to get over that. It wasn't that. It was, you know. Um, it's just that's how it was, you know, and I just had to accept it. But everyone was really good afterwards, you know. Once it was like that, it, um, it was fine. It was just sad. And in many ways, I kind of um, stayed away from the game, I think, because of it, you know, um, if the truth be told, you know. I, I'd say, no, it wasn't, but I, I kind of just thought, oh, I better let others do it. But I, I'm, 
I actually am a pretty smart guy, you know, and I know I know football and I know good players, and I'm one of these kind of I'm a good analyst um, where I can really study things. But it look, it never worked out from a footballing aspect. Um, who knows? Maybe a door might open in the future. Mm. But I love watching the guys I played with. You know, um, Kevin Musket's been great coach, and um, you look at the Alois Stevie Corrikers and all these. Popoviches and these sort of guys have done really, really well. And, and that, for me, is I, I get real pleasure out of that because these are the guys I've played with. And, of course, the Australian team as well, yeah. in general. Let's uh, finish off then by, by talking about the Socceroos. Um, you had so many ups and downs with, with the yeah. national team from the lows of Iran, 1997, to qualification in uh, 2005. And then, of course, you, you went to the World Cup, yeah. but you didn't play. Uh, is it fair to say Terry Venables loved you, but horse hitting didn't? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, I think you're right, son. I, look, um, I think Gus, um, you know, I mean, if he didn't really like, he wouldn't have taken me there, number one. So it'd be unfair to say that. Um, I just felt that he probably thought that I'd be great for the squad, but he didn't probably rate me enough to put me on the field as such. And that's fine. He had, he, Gus had a certain style that he liked playing. And look, he'll go down as probably one of the greatest managers for me. I think Ange Postecoglou, without a shadow of a doubt, would, would be mine. And I never played under Ange. Um, but um, yeah, Gus had a certain way. And unfortunately, myself, Popovich, um, even Schwartzy, to, to be honest, um, Skoko, there's probably four or five of us. I think I was definitely the, definitely the worst one. Um, but um, yeah, he just, he, he liked a certain player and a certain style. And unfortunately, I didn't fit that. But but then having said all that, I just thought, Italy, come on, you know. You've got half the team out. Um, you're down, Italy's down to 10 men. You're 1-0 down. You need the ball. Then just, I, said, I was saying to myself, I, said, I think I said to Arnie, I said, Arnie, can you not just give me 10 minutes? Sure. Just let me run. Let me cross the ball. I'll find someone. I'll find with Duke or I'll find you know, Johnny or, or get, just, just let's have a go. And if we lose three, then we'll say be it. But I don't know. He had a, I think he said afterwards, he was hoping to get it to extra time and then put me on or, or something like that. But yeah, I guess we'll never know. Um, but I'm also grateful. I was a part of a, a, a phenomenal campaign and yeah, I'm going to hate it against. Mm. I was very, he, he brought me there. I'm very, yeah. You went to a World Cup, which is I went to a World Cup. And I not a lot of players did. No, but um, just I think the downer in that would be where you mentioned that Iran '97, mm. you know, to and having to go through that South American way, that playoff with that such a great group of players that had that squad been unleashed in France, or I, I really think we would have done some really good things because the players were kind of at the right ages. In fairness, in, for me in 2006, I was kind of at the tail end of my career anyhow, so I understand that too. So that's probably, um, you know, we didn't have that Asian part, I guess. Last question, Stan. Uh, this comes from Samuel82, and it is our question of the week. Uh, congratulations, Samuel. $100 Outback Steakhouse voucher is uh, coming your way. Uh, what was the feeling like for you and the squad before and after the 3-1 win over England in 2003? Oh, what a great... I'm glad he mentioned that. <laughs> what a game. I think that that game shocked England. 
And then that it was shocked me, let me tell you, because I only just moved to Australia. <laughs> yeah, no, I think um, it was almost like, I liken it to this. I'm probably not an example. When I like the Rocky Balboa um, movies and Rocky faced off with Dolph Lundgren and just thought it was going to be a walk in the park and it was all the show pony sort of stuff. And I think England um, came out with this phenomenal squad. I mean, every player that you can think of, Rooney's and Gerrard's and... Um, and the list goes on Beckham's and anyway. So before that, we were feeling really good. I mean, we had a team, you know, you do could Harry Kills red hot that that night. Uh, you look at Skokos, Ocons, um, Craig Moores and Kevin Muscata. We our team was we, we were we were ready. And we felt because we feel good tonight. That's yeah, it's just really good. We you never know. Um, we could do something here. And it, we just I mean, it should have been like three or four nil at half time, if being honest. And anyhow, and of course, at half time, the, the squad that England took off almost the whole side and put on B team, which was just as good. And um, winning the game at the end, I mean, the feeling, I, it was, I can't tell you how many calls and, um, um, you know, people just saying, you guys are really good. We didn't realise, but when you think about it, that, that 18 players, 23 players, we're all playing at top flight football. We're all playing either England or City R or Bundesliga or La Liga. And we're all playing week in, week out. It shouldn't have been a shock, Simon, but it was. I think we're just so, not underrated, but not acknowledged. But the world stood up after that, particularly England. And Terry Venables kind of made that happen. Um, and then after that, of course, England didn't want to play us again for a long, long time. So, uh, but great night. And it was at Upton Park as well. So there Absolutely, was a, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, so really good. Have a few drinks that night, did you? Yeah, <laughs> you even made the Ray Martin show. I mean, if you make the Ray Martin show, you've done something right, haven't you? So Ray Mondo, the great Ray Mondo. Uh, Stan, you did plenty of things right during your career. Um, it's an absolute pleasure to talk to you. We could have gone on for about uh, two hours, but uh, we'll have to leave it there. Um, thank you so much for your time and for joining us. I'm sure the listeners will really enjoy that chat. Thanks, mate. Thank you, Simon. Thank you. And that is us for another week. We'll see you same time, same place next week for another Shim Spider and so much more. Bye for now. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 